Grace, mercy, and peace from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Conspiracy theories. Think about some of the greatest conspiracy theories in which we have dealt with over the years. Roswell, Area 51, UFOs. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you believe in that because people will judge you right away, right? <laughs> Movies have been made. What if? How about the Illuminati? Okay, we won't even touch that one. We're going to move on. Moon landing. People who doubt the moon landing, right? Almost sound American. Global warming. <laughs> Everybody gets a good kick, right? They're having the biggest snowfall up in uh, the Twin Cities right now. I still laugh at my in-laws living up there still. They're retired. Get down here, right? It's cold. What if somebody added that list? Jesus Christ died and rose again. Because when you look on the internet for conspiracy theories, Jesus is lumped in with the UFOs, with the moon landing, JFK assassination, with all the other things that are considered conspiracy theories. Did it happen? We have to prove it, right? How about a flat earth? Have we proved that one yet, right? I don't believe you. That's what we hear from people. So what will it take for you to believe? How can we touch Jesus today? Let's take a look at today's gospel, but I want to work a little backwards today. As I got into today's gospel reading, I realized the structure, and you're going to see why I think for us today to go where I felt the Holy Spirit was leading, we need to work backwards. And we're going to start right at the end of today's gospel. These are written that you may believe. And it's not the end of the gospel of John. There is a 21st chapter. But right here, John wrote, these are written that you may believe. Jesus did many signs and miracles throughout his ministry, starting from the minute he changed that water into wine, we saw Jesus do miraculous things. If you were there, you would be amazed, right? I think about Jesus' ministry being filled with these miracles. Uh, just recently, we had somebody donate to our Sunday school and school the arch books, right? Darla had mentioned for Sunday school, the arch books are such a great job of sharing biblical stories with our kids and biblical knowledge for them is so important and know these stories. And whatever Darla's doing, we want to do for everybody because you see from her children, they know their Bible. But guess what? Those arch books aren't just gospel or New Testament. They're the whole Bible. In fact, the Old Testament, I think the Old Testament was bigger, right? Wasn't that more expensive? Money's no object here, right? We got them. We wanted them. Arch books filled with stories of the Old Testament, many showing again signs and miracles. What God did over and over and over. Miracles. And if you were fortunate enough to see with your own eyes, you probably had more of a belief. And of course, at the end of verse 31, 
that you may have life in his name, right? These are written that you may believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Great ending verse. What kind of life are we talking about? What does it mean to have a life in his name? Is it how we live our lives? Or is it about eternal life? We know, we believe, we spend eternity with Jesus. We can get to the argument, heaven, new earth, are they the same thing? Is one until everybody comes, when Jesus comes back and we go to the other? We don't know as much about it in the Bible as we'd like to. Always have a lot of questions. Pastor and I got into the discussion we talked about Lazarus and his four days. What we do know is obvious. Why Jesus came, what that life means, having eternal life. And all you have to do is believe. Seems easy. When you're brought up in my house, I didn't have a choice, right? I asked the uh, Compromins last week, such cute seventh and eighth graders, question, should your parents force you to go to church? Should your parents force you? And of course I said, should they force you to eat healthy food? Should they make sure they're watching what you are putting your eyes on? Do they have to give you a bedtime? Right? Do, do they have to live? Think of all the things we do because we love our children. Because if we don't, they're not going to make good decisions, right? And yep, we make them go to church, hoping one day that knowledge and the Holy Spirit will come upon them and bring them back. It's the prodigal son. Because they push. A month from now, when we have the confirmants come up, I used to tell them all the time, this is where you make your faith your own. No, not really, not for most of them. But you know what we do is we give them a foundation that tells them what Jesus has said and done, what the Bible says, and what you now have to base every decision you make on. There's your foundation. Because they're going to do stupid. <coughs> but the Lord will be there for them. All you have to do is believe. But show me proof. I bet you all have that family member, that friend, or somebody out there that you know doesn't want to believe, pushes back against Christianity, professes atheism or, or being an agnostic or whatever fits what they want to do and they love to throw at it, show me proof. Alex jumped on it right away. The Bible. What, that book? Written by men. Again, if they're a mathematician, I love to go Old Testament prophecy. You've heard that argument. How do we prove what God has done? You'll notice that even in today's gospel, and certainly in the first two readings today, we're dealing with grief. The last couple weeks in our sermons, we've dealt with grief. We live in a sinful world where bad things happen. This, this, both the readings, the Acts 5, I used to get so hyped that... Peter got flogged in the name of the Lord and left rejoicing. Would I do that? I'd go home and whine, probably. Or certainly in 1 Peter 1, the trials, all the trials they go through. 
It makes sense. We're dealing with a lot of things here. We just dealt with Jesus being on the cross, the women grieving, the apostles grieving that loss. And Jesus comes back. But Thomas is gone. Thomas's grief won't allow him to listen. Thomas's grief won't allow him to open his heart to what his friends are saying. It sounds too fantastic. As fantastic enough as he came to this earth to live a perfect life, to die, and he rose again to defeat sin, death, and the devil, so you and I can actually kneel every Sunday or whenever we want, ask for forgiveness of sins, be forgiven, and spend eternity with Jesus, right? Sounds fantastic. Or fantastical. Or outrageous. Or fill in the blank. It was outrageous, just like he said. The whole thing is an outrageous story. It doesn't make sense. Why would God do that? These answers, because he's God. He can, right? He did tell us it was going to happen. Old Testament prophecy, right? We did know this was the path. So do you trust everything you see? I think one of the problems we have nowadays, one of the reasons so many people push back against these things, are shows like The Carbonaro Effect. Has anybody ever seen it? He does things that are absolutely outrageous. Sleight of hand, whatever you want to call it. It's like, how is that possible? It, it's, this, it's this idea of... Um, I, I love magicians. David Blaine, David Copperfield. I was going to make a joke about maybe we shouldn't trust anybody named David, but without Ledbetter here to defend himself, I better not go there. We've seen the sleight of hand. We've seen it. How can I believe? Even when I see, I don't always believe. It makes sense why Thomas pushed back. And I love what it says. Blessed are those who have not seen tried to find the best picture I could of people worshiping here because you, all of you, are who we were talking about there, who Scripture's talking about. You did not get to put your hands in Jesus' side or touch his hands, and yet you believe. We are blessed. So the reason I want to work backwards today is the lead up to this first part, because I think this is the most important thing as we get into this idea leading up to where we're going to be going here in a month. God used old school CPR. What do I mean by that? Anybody that ever learned CPR back in the day had to do chest compressions and then rescue breaths to breathe into them. Right? And then it was, well, do rescue breaths, but you always have to carry some kind of shield or protector to make sure you don't have... Uh, Blood or puke, we won't go there. All right, just protect yourself, okay? And then they said, stop doing rescue breaths. It's not helpful. It's not. We're just going to do chest compressions. We get the wrong idea of what that breath of God looks like. And this is actually the word for the Hebrew because the breath of God is mentioned throughout the Bible many, many times. And it's not talking about oxygen, carbon dioxide. Maybe that would be a good sermon. When God puts his breath, there's a carbon dioxide that he's breathing out, right? It's an essence. 
It's a spirit. It's not a physical thing. What we're talking about here by God's breathing is his spirit. The Holy Spirit. What comes upon us. This idea of what we feel. I always hate to use the word feel. Because we're sinners. And if we did what we feel, whoa, would we sin a lot more, right? And yet that feeling of what God gives us through this, this essence, this breath of God comes. And I want to talk about four different passages. I picked four out of like the 30. If you look up breath of God, there's a whole nother study. You could do a whole Bible study on it. I want to talk about the first one, Genesis 7. Then the Lord formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man came the man became a living creature. He breathed into his nostrils. Maybe that's where I came with this idea of God using old school CPR, right? He made man. He gave him life. Another example of God's breath comes from Job 32. But it, but it is the spirit of man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. We're going to get into that, I think, in the fourth one. Isaiah 11.4 is where we see the breath of God in a little bit different light. It says, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. That's not the kind of rescue breath we want, is it? Unless somebody's being wicked to us, then please, breath of God, take them out, Right? His essence, his love. That's where we're going to go in a month when we get to Pentecost, to Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like the mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And tongues divided on, as a fire appeared to be on them and rested on each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. His spirit, his essence. I don't think Acts 5 happens without Pentecost. I don't think Peter has the ability to stand up to Sanhedrin and tell them, you crucified him, this is what you did, but he rose again, don't worry about it. Peter doesn't take a flogging and leave rejoicing in the name of the Lord if he doesn't have the essence of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't go out there Share Christ if we don't have that Holy Spirit guidance. Guiding our hearts, our minds, and our mouth. Just as the Father sent me, I am sending you. He's sending us. It's great commission. We know that. He's sending us as sheep among wolves. He's sending us to do what he's called us. We have to make them believe. How can we do that? I can't show somebody else what I have seen in my life. I can't make them feel what I feel. I can't pass on the way over and over my wife and I or my family 
prays for guidance, does not get the answer we want. Praise be to God we did it because God knows best and it works out great. I can't just put that on somebody else and say, oh, you want to believe? Here, check. Let me show you what my head says. But I can love them. And so can you. I know. I just spent 16 minutes getting to the thing I did in three minutes with the children. But that's where I wanted to go. I would have spent a long time on Acts 5 today if I was preaching on that because I love those verses. Or 1 Peter 1. But when I read this, it still came down to, we just went through Easter, we celebrated. He is risen. We feel that. We know that. We'll share it in here. How many of you have gone into McDonald's and said, he is risen? And I'll take an English egg McMuffin, right? But we can love. We can take that Easter feeling and, and, and as much as we want to see how Thomas, and I've done sermons on Thomas already, you know, I, I looked and I thought, man, I hammered Thomas pretty good last time. It's not about Thomas. about the Thomases around us that won't be able to put their hand in Jesus' side or in his hands but need to believe. We want them to know Jesus and to go to heaven. We can love. Jesus came down to earth for a purpose and when he fulfilled that purpose he left it to his believers to continue making disciples. Do you believe do the people around you believe? Love them as he loves. You can't force a feeling or a belief. And let's do it together. Let's love the unlovable sometimes. Let's love the unbeliever. Let's lift them up and serve. And let's share Jesus. Amen.